A quick disclaimer. The thoughts and opinions expressed on the Doored Up podcast are strictly those of the hosts and guests of the show. and do not reflect official policies or viewpoints of any law enforcement, government, or public service entity. Nor is the Doored Up podcast officially affiliated with said agencies. The Doored Up podcast contains mostly true stories told by the law enforcement officers, firefighters, emergency medical services personnel, military veterans, and first responders who lived through them. Some names and details may have been changed to protect the anonymity of persons involved. I realize that some listeners may be familiar with these stories, and we would encourage them to refrain from commenting with any clarifying details that might violate that anonymity. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Doored Up Podcast. I'm your host, Drew. I much appreciate all of the well wishes, the comments, and love that I've gotten in the last several weeks that I've kind of taken a season break from the first 11 episodes of the Doored Up Podcast. I I really do appreciate it. Uh, I've had tons of people that are local to me you know, friends and listeners of the podcast that have reached out to me to tell me that I need to uh, pull my head out and get back to work on the podcast, get people back on the show and keep telling these stories. So that's what we're doing. We're back. I guess we can consider this season two unofficially. Uh, I'm not going to break episodes down into seasons. I'm just going to keep recording them as I, as I see fit and push them out when they're done and ready. I'm, uh, I've already recorded this episode once, so here I am sitting down to re-record it because I had a bunch of my information wrong. I don't want to be that guy, so here I am back to to redo this again. I didn't quite like the way it came out the first time. Today is just a solo episode, just me sitting down to freeform and just spill some stuff out that I've been thinking about over the last several weeks of taking my little break to reset, which was much needed in the meantime. I, I had several new and challenging cases assigned to me that have occupied a lot of my time on top of some big cases, some major crime cases that have come into my team that has kept us very busy about 30 hours of overtime in the last week. It's It's been wild and crazy and been keeping us very busy, and it tends to be that way in the summer as we're rolling into summertime. It's our definitely our biggest time of year. It's when I get assigned the most cases, when we've got the most extra duties and stuff going on for my agency that keeps everybody busy from one day to the next. And I've got some time today because I'm in the middle of our week-long SWAT training week. Uh, Every year we do one 40-hour week where the whole team comes together. and We bring in some outside trainers and work on a bunch of stuff that we haven't been able to get to for the rest of the year. It's also a time to what we consider our SWAT basic for our new team members that come in on selection. And I'm lucky enough to have three new guys on the team that are very switched on, dedicated, good, going to be very good SWAT cops, and I'm, I'm glad that we had quite the showing for selection this year. So all that added together makes for a lot of overwhelming shit that means you guys got to wait for podcast episodes. So I do apologize. I really do. I've had a ton of people reach out to me like, hey, when's the next episode coming? Just bear with me. Give me time. I'm one man. This is a one-man show. I appreciate all of that, and I really do. I've had... messages on Instagram from the Instagram page from a ton of people reaching out and asking when new episodes are going to be there. I've had some interest in people coming on the show. I've also had some conversations with people about crossover shows with me going on other people's podcasts, which I think is going to be awesome if we get to that point. So just 
sit tight. It's coming. We'll get there. But today, specifically, I wanted to, I've been thinking about this just because I, I have periods where I fall into such a negative mindset. Uh, given the nature of the cases that I work, I work sex crimes. I'm a sex crimes investigator, almost primarily. And that just the nature of working those cases are extremely challenging. Uh, I run into about 90% of the cases that I'm not able to get, either not able to get prosecuted because of lack of evidence or lack of information or uncooperative parents of victims or uncooperative victims themselves. It's just the nature of working sex crimes is very tough and it's rarely rewarding. So I got to hold out and keep maintain a positive mindset, right? About this is going to be a good case. When one comes in, I, t- I tell myself every time, this is going to be the one. This is going to be a great case. I'm going to get great prosecution on it. Everything's going to work out and it's going to be good. going to get, you know, vindication and hold this guy accountable or gal, whatever the case might be. I don't, I don't like to use... You guys have heard me say it before. I'm not in the justice business, administration of justice. I'm in the administration of holding people accountable. Um, and a lot of times, that's that's what I got to hang my hat on. Going back, mindset is defined by Webster as the established set of attitudes held by someone. And that's kind of neutered, right? I think that that's uh, not a very good explanation of everything that encompasses mindset because there's a lot more to it. I found a a better a better definition that says, mindset is a set of assumptions, methods, or notions held by one or more people or groups of people. Mindset can be also be seen arising out of a person's worldview or philosophy of life. And I think that's a way better description of mindset because mindset is not strictly environmental, but I would say that it has a huge part of it, right? Like if you're, take for instance, where what I do and my team and where I work, yeah, shit sucks sometimes. Cases are hard. We have a lot of shortfalls and things to overcome, but overall, I think we have a very good mindset about how we're going to work cases and we're just going to do our fucking best, period. That's all. That's how we sleep at night, at least me personally. I know that my partner, Lisa, who came on a previous episode, she has very much the same mindset. That, However, she's much more of an empath than me. She, she connects at a way different level with her cases than I do to a degree, but I feel like Overall, as a team, we're very lucky in my agency to have investigators that, that care about the cases and are willing to put in the work for little to no compensation to make sure that, that we hold people accountable. It comes back to that. So mindset in law enforcement specifically, given the, the climate that we live in today in our country in the United States, it's not we're not very well received, right? The vast majority of the American public loves and supports law enforcement. But those aren't the ones that people hear about. Those aren't the people that make it onto the news. Those aren't the things that you see circulated, right? Are those opinions that people want us to be out there making sure that they're safe, looking out for the general public, right? That's not what we see. We see the negative side of it. It's all over, mostly because large population centers tend to be places where they're not specifically supportive of law enforcement. And that's a huge thing in 2020, 2021, Coming in, you know, we're six months into 2021 now. We're in June. It's not getting any better with the with the political climate as a as a catalyst to all of that. It's it's not getting any better. We're seeing at my quote unquote small town USA agency, we're seeing a lot of people with coming from outside agencies from those big liberal cities, you know, East Coast, West Coast, that are looking to stay in law enforcement 
but they want to do it somewhere more conservative. They don't have to worry about the political climate so much uh, and still do good police work. And that's the thing that I think the majority of law enforcement officers, if you talk to them candidly, they're struggling right now, me included. I mean, look at me. I'm 15, 16 years into my career of a, you know, what could be a 21-year career. I can re- I'm eligible to retire at 21 years. So I'm very close. And I'm having that struggle almost daily of, am I, do I want to keep doing this? Am I still, can I still find the good in what I do every day? Because I could be at the midpoint of my career. If I chose to stay for 30 years, I'm, I'm right at halfway, which is <laughs> completely overwhelming when I think about that. But it's, it's that balance that I don't think there's a cop out there right now, like two and three year cops that are putting on a badge and a gun every day right now. I can't imagine being those people and dealing with the mindset and the general lack of support towards law enforcement in today's society and looking at another possibly 20 years of that. Who knows what's going to happen between now and then? It's, uh, yeah, the, the thought of that to me, if I was that, that guy or gal two, three years, just fresh out of the academy and kind of starting to find my groove in work and patrol or if it's detention or whatever it might be, that's, that's a big thing right now. Whereas you've got a ton of people, you know, and it, it's cyclic. Every agency has people that are at the top, people that are, that are just starting out. But the consensus among other people, colleagues of mine, they're the same amount of years in service. They're also struggling to come up with that answer. Like, do I, can I still find the good in what I do every day enough to stay and deal with, you know, political backlash and general you know, because we still see some lack of support, you know, some hate towards law enforcement, even where I'm at, not near to the level of, you know, other big cities, like guys that are under, you know, talking with my, my team commander for my SWAT team just came back from a big conference um, of other team commanders and team leaders and talking with those guys from, you know, Phoenix and Portland, places that are under decree, Chicago, Talking with those guys, like, we can't hold a candle to what they've got going on. You know, the anti-police sentiment there is way worse than it is here. But it's still there, and it's still in the back of our mind. It needs to be, because to keep doing this job for another 5, 10, 15, 20 years from where you're at right now, what do you, what do you want to be? Do you want to be the person that changes that viewpoint? Do you want to be the change that you want to see in the world i know that's super cheesy but that's why that's why we do what we do right i I can hope at least i mean granted yeah people still want to just they get into this career because they want to drive fast and shoot guns that's cool too i get that but we've got to do collectively something to change the viewpoint you know to be that person and i i talk about it all the time all the time you got to take time for the kids. I talk with my my friends that are SROs. You know, they're in a very unique position to change that perspective, right? Because who's the next generation of people that are going to either support, choose to support or not support law enforcement? It's going to be the kids, right? They're going to be the ones that see how law enforcement interacts with people at a personal level. And if you can be that person to make a positive influence on a kiddo, so that they're going to be supportive of you later on and not be afraid of law enforcement, then good on you. I, I can't say enough good things about my SROs, but 
I always take time, no matter what I'm doing in an official capacity when I'm working, I always take time to interact positively with kids as best I can because that's going to change minds. That's going to put a placeholder in, in future interactions with law enforcement and the way that people see things because those are going to be future community leaders. Those are going to be, you know, could be the next president of the United States and how they look at law enforcement. You know, I was, I was treated fairly like a person by a cop, you know, when XYZ happened to me when I was a kid or when I was interacting with a kid. Those are the things that they're going to remember, right? That's why we, I mean, think about your influence, you know, as a law enforcement officer. What made you decide to get into it? Was it an interaction with a school resource officer? Was it an interaction sometime when you were a kid with a cop? Like, that guy was cool to me. He treated me different than I expected him to or her to. And that made a huge influence enough that where I want to be that person to make that positive change, right? And that all comes back to mindset. So I wanted to touch on that. Like, those are... Those are the choices right now, right? Stay, go, or move. Find some, find somewhere else to do the same job and hopefully make that impact. If it needs to be in a different community for you to continue to be that good in the world, then so be it. Move. Find somewhere else to be. Reach out to me. If you're interested in coming to where I'm at, I can, I can help point people in the right direction. Like I want to be a resource for people too. So that goes into my next note that I have is tactical mindset, right? So we have just general police mindset and then going into tactical mindset, like how you utilize, like what your, what goes through your brain and how you maintain a certain mindset during a high stress incident. And that can be any different number of things, right? It falls back to me. It's a trying to maintain a winning mindset, but not necessarily a winning mindset, but talking about the OODA loop. If you don't know what the OODA loop is, it's orient observe, decide, and act, right? That's the decision-making process that the human brain and body goes through as they're evaluating and making a decision to act on something in a high-stress incident, like a tactical, something, you know, I hate to use the word tactical. I hate it. I fucking hate it. But that's the best description I can come up with. So my, my decision-making process during the OODA loop is what's important now. Right. Especially now in a leadership position, I'm a team leader um, for my local SWAT team. Right. So I've got a minimum of six dudes that that rely on me to be a decision maker for them uh, at a certain level. Like I trust them absolutely to make snap decisions on a use of force, B positioning, you know, tactical considerations. God, I, I'm not going to be able to get away from using the word tactical, but I rely on those guys to make their own decisions and I trust them implicitly, like no matter what. Like, yeah, it's all, we all have our fuck around, laugh, laugh, joke time. Uh, but when it's time to do business, I, I trust those guys to make the right decisions on how they're going to implement tactics and what they're going to do. And I, I have to do that as a team leader. If I don't trust my people and I'm, if you're the, the supervisor or you're a leader that micromanages and has to make sure that everything gets done with this oversight, this overbearing oversight over what they're doing, then they're, it's going to throw your people off, and that's not the way to be. But that's that's what I focus on uh, when I get when I'm working as a as, as in my team leader role, and also when I'm working on my cases as an investigator. It's it's twofold. What's important now, right? Like what's on fire right now? What can I do right now that's going to change the outcome of what's of what we need to get to? What's our what's our objective? Where am I trying to get? What's important now? If there's shit that, like, I can't control that, I can't do anything about it, that's it's the last thing I worry about. But what can I control? What can I do right now to fix 
what's wrong or what could go wrong, uh, thinking forward, you know, trying to anticipate things that could happen either a, in a, on a call out with say a barricaded suicidal subject, something like that. Just trying to game it, game the game, the game, as we say all the time, come up with a million different what ifs. Um, and I, that's why in talking with a, if you talk with a good investigator, they spend a lot of time losing sleep on their cases, thinking about, you know, what can I do to get ahead of the curve? Uh, it goes back to the OODA loop. It's no different between working my cases, you know, and a call out during a, a SWAT situation. I'm trying to shorten my own OODA loop, right, and cut things out that shit that's irrelevant. I'm trying to cut that out, and I'm trying to lengthen the bad guy's OODA loop, right? Introduce things to him that are going to make him slip up and lengthen his OODA loop, the time between he, when he observes something, he orients to it, deciding and acting. Like if I can lengthen the gap between any of those letters in the OODA loop for the bad guy, then that gives me more time, less time to be reactive. Law enforcement as a whole is very reactionary. It's very reactionary. Uh, and it's, it's hard to be proactive, especially you know in the roles that I have. But anything that I can do to shorten my length of, you know, between my tick marks on my OODA loop and to make that guy's longer so that he's going to slip up and give me more time to do the, something that is going to positively affect my outcome, I guess that's my mindset, right? Overcoming, quote, tactical shortfalls, however possible. That's what, that's what we're, that's the goal, right? Is find a way to make yourself more efficient and to make them slip up. So with that being said, it goes into, you know, the winning mindset, like having overall general trying to maintain a winning mindset. I talked about that earlier that, yeah, things right now suck in general for law enforcement, you know, but they might not always be that way. So you need to keep that positive mindset, but it goes back to, you know, working my cases versus a call out, you know, the two main roles that I have in my job, I I have accepted long ago that I'm not always going to win. That may sound like a negative mindset, it really does sound like a negative mind. Now that I'm saying it out loud, accepting the fact that I'm not, not always going to win and that's okay, that's, it sucks, right? But that's how you overcome negative shit that you're dealing with, right? God, I'm, I'm like, you want to listen to somebody that talks about this and is completely overbearing and makes it sound real cool, go listen to Jocko's podcast. I'm not that guy, right? I don't purport myself to be that guy. But you got to find something inside of you where you, you hold on to those positives and you work to overcome that negative shit, right? And that's how, that's how we ultimately win or accept those negatives, right? You're not always going to win. You're not always going to win. Sometimes things are going to go horribly, horribly wrong. Like Mike Tyson said, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face, right? But plan to get punched in the face, that's, that's part of a mindset, I think. You're not always going to win. Sometimes you're going to get punched in the face and you got to figure out how to live with that or get used to getting punched in the face, right? That's a good mindset. Like, yeah, I know I'm, I'm going into this fight. I know I'm going to get punched in the face, but here's what I'm going to do about it. Having some sort of other ability to work around that. Finding a workaround is a huge tool in, in our line of work. So that being said, I, I, have, I have a couple different things that I want to talk about specific to mindset that are probably going to be very surprising. One of the things that I've latched onto, like I'm a voracious reader. 
I've, I've always been someone who reads. I read a ton of nonfiction. Speaking of, you know, I, I go through all these episodes and I talk with other people about their distractions and the things that they do uh, to kind of get their mind off of our job and all of the, the negatives, right? I read. Uh, I don't read near as much lately because I've just been busy with other things and finding other distractions and hanging out with my kids and things are starting to open back up. So we're, we went to our first local baseball game for a minor league team here last weekend, and that was great. But I do love to read. Uh, my, I've been working through the last, well, probably two years. I think I'm on the 16th Harry Bosch book from Michael Connelly. I absolutely love that character. Uh, and Harry Bosch in the books is different than Harry Bosch on the Amazon Prime TV series in several ways. But a lot of that character carries over to the TV show, and the TV show is good too. If you don't feel like reading the books, because there's a bunch of them, going back to the early 90s. Um, watch the TV show. You'll, you'll get a lot of the same kind of character of, of Harry Bosch. I think Titus Welliver does a very good job in embracing that character. And, the, you know, obviously Michael Connelly is a producer on the show, but I do love to read. I've always loved to read. I read nonfiction. I read fiction. I've read almost, I'm looking, I've, I've got my bookcase down here. I've read a ton of, uh, I like mystery thrillers, I love Stephen King. I read a ton of Lee Child books, the Jack Reacher novels. Uh, if you've never read just like some good action smut, um, like zombie killing science fiction stuff, read Jonathan Mayberry, the Joe Ledger novels. Uh, me and Shannon, I got Shannon turned on to those books several years ago. They're very good. Dean Koontz, I, I read a lot of different nonfiction. But I also read some stuff that may be surprising. I'm holding here in my hand uh, the poetry of Robert Frost. So going, circling back <laughs> in the parlance of our times, I have something that I want to read. I have two of them. This one I'm going to read pretty quickly. Talking about mindset, Robert Frost. My dad always had copies of Robert Frost. And my dad was read a lot of literature. And I, if I remember correctly, he had a framed copy uh, of a portion of this, of The Road Not Taken. And parts of that have stuck with me for years since I was a kid. Because it's pretty striking when you start talking about mindset and you dig into poetry it can be interpreted in many, 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 many different ways, but this is the road not taken. So I'm going to read it. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler long I stood, and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for that, the passing there had warned them really both about the same. And both that morning equally lay, in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood and I, I took the road less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. So I think that that's about, to me, that's about, it's partially about mindset, right? It's about regret and how to how to deal with regret. Speaking specifically about my career in law enforcement and the military, there's parts of it that I regret. You know, I would have done certain things differently at different times, but I do not regret making the choice to serve my country and to serve my community. Um, and I think that if I had looked back on it with a, a different mindset, that if I did regret any of it, then it had been the wrong choice. And I think that I took the road less traveled, for sure. Uh, and, I, I, it, and it has made all the difference for me. And that's, you know, that's one that I lean on and I come back to 
as Robert Frost has several, you know, that he wrote over the years that I, I, I perceive them to be about some sort of mindset, you know, making a decision and sticking to it, even though, or, you know, wanting to do something and not being able to do it. Like stopping by woods on a snowy evening. I'll read that one too. That's another Robert Frost poem. So that one goes like this. Whose woods these are, I think I know. His house is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. My little horse must think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near. Between the woods and frozen lake, the darkest evening of the year. He gives his harness bells a shake to ask if there is some mistake. The only other sounds the sweep of easy wind and downy flake. The woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. So that, to me, that last paragraph, you know, the woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep. That's, that's not unlike, you know, where I'm, I guess you could say where I'm at in my career right now. Like, yeah, I have, I'm at that point where I can see the light at the end of the tunnel if I want, uh, but I'm not done. I got things that I need to do. I, I still think I'm doing good. So I'm not, not ready to cut ties quite yet. You know, obviously I can't, but given the opportunity, I don't know what I'm going to do. So that comes back to mindset. Like it's okay to not know what you're going to do. It's okay to not know how you would react in a situation, but it's in, it better be in your mind. You better be thinking about it. And that's comes back to that winning mindset, right? Your body, your body can't go where your mind hasn't been. So I play a lot of those what if scenarios in my head over a million different scenarios, like work involved outside of that. It, it doesn't matter. Have a plan or try to and kind of go from there. I'm, I'm really rambling. I, <laughs> these solo episodes are really hard for me because I, I feel like I'm just blathering on about nonsense. It's very much a stream of consciousness sort of thing. I have very minimal notes on on what I want to talk about so you guys kind of just get what pours out. The other poem I want to read another poem. And it's very special to me. It's from Rudyard Kipling, the same guy, the same author uh, that wrote The Jungle Book and Ricky Ticky Tavi. Uh, was considered quote the poet of the empire, of the British Empire in the late late 1800s, you know, into the early 1900s. He was born in India, so a lot of his stories kind of revolve around that if you if you've ever read The Jungle Book, if you've ever read Ricky Ticky Tavi, if you've ever read, uh, I think it's called The Man Who Would Be King, a lot of his stories have a lot to do with India, and it's exotic at the time. Uh, but he has one poem that he wrote called If. That's it. That's the name of it. It's just If. And that one has always struck a deep chord with me since the first time I heard it, which would have been in 2009. I was activated. I was in an Army National Guard unit, and I got reactivated to deploy back to Iraq for my second tour of duty in 2009. And we were stationed at Fort Hood uh, for our train-up, getting ready to deploy. And my platoon sergeant at the time, who was a good good friend of mine, his name his name's Buddy. We've talked about him numerous times. He's Snake's brother, uh, Snake from episodes 10 and 11. He sat us down. I was a young NCO. I'd just been promoted to E5, to sergeant, about a year before that. Had a team, a three-man, you know, myself and a driver and a gunner that I was in charge of. But I was acting squad leader a lot of times because the squad leader was still the administrative NCO for my unit. So he was away taking care of a lot of stuff, taking care of all the other troops with all this other stuff. So I spent a lot of time as an active team leader, or an acting squad leader, excuse me, in charge of my own team and then three other 
team leaders and their teams. And I was struggling with that because I was more responsibility than I had essentially signed up for. I wasn't being compensated for that. And I was upset about that. But we had an NCO meeting one night. I remember all of the team leaders, squad leaders sat down, platoon sergeant sat us down in the bay and basically said, all right, everybody sit down. Story time. Shut the fuck up. I'm going to read this to you. And uh, he read this poem to us. And it changed, it changed my mindset about who I was as an NCO, who I was going to be as a father because my wife was pregnant with my first son at the time. Uh, I didn't know if I was going to actually make it home in time to see him born, but I did luck out and managed to make it home. But that this poem, there's a lot of things in here that strikes a lot of chords that at the time I didn't realize that I, I had a lot of the good qualities of a leader but this really pointed some things out to me that was very remarkable to me, and I've always held it very dear since then. There's a reading, if you get on YouTube and look up uh, Rudyard Kipling, Kipling. God, I keep saying Kipling. It's like the 15th time. That's one reason why I'm recording this, because I said Kipling 30 times on the previous episode that I recorded. Kipling. If you go onto YouTube and search up a version of this story, there's a reading from Michael Caine. If you know who Michael Caine is, he's a British actor, theater trained. He obviously, he played Alfred in the the last set of Batman movies with Christian Bale. Just a phenomenal voice to read such a great poem. And he obviously blows me out of the water, but I, I want to give this a shot. I want to read this poem. So, uh, so I'm going to read that as the outro. So administrative notes, I guess, for this episode is that more episodes are coming. Uh, we're going to get there. I'm going to get more interviews as soon as I get through this training week and some other stuff going on. I want to credit the artist for the song that I'm going to use uh, to play over while I'm reading this poem to you is also the same music that plays during my disclaimer. It's a song called Wonder by Hazy, and I'm going to credit them in the in the show notes as well because I haven't done that yet. I'm 12 episodes deep, and I haven't credited that that artist for basically letting me use their music, so kudos to them. I will shut up. And I'm going to read this, and uh, I hope you guys get as much out of it as I have in the last 10 or 11 years that I go back to this poem and listen to it again and read it again. Pick parts of it that are more significant, I think, than others to me specifically, but find what you need out of it. Maintain a good mindset. Keep fighting the good fight. Be the good. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting, or being lied about don't deal in lies, or being hated don't give way to hating, and yet don't look too good or talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two impostors just the same. If you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up with worn-out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they're gone, and so hold on when there's nothing in you 
except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings nor lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you, but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything in it, and which is more, you'll be a man, my son. <laughs>